Good morning, Grace Chapel. Well, this morning I've got another quote for you. If you'll remember back to last week, if you can remember back that far, um, I started off with a quote, and I've got another one. Here's the quote. You might as well try to hear without ears or breathe without lungs as try to live a Christian life without the Spirit of God. D.L. Moody said that. Someone else once said that the average church attender's understanding of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, is so vague and so rarely biblically even talked about. So, how do you feel about that? Christian, how do you feel about that statement? Would you say today, just, just raise your arm, raise your right hand if you would, would you say that statement is probably true? Okay, most of you are, are clued in and you realize that. Yeah, good. Um, you don't have to put your hand up for this one or say anything, but what do you really know about the Holy Spirit of God? Like if I was to say, hey, Bob, come on up and uh, tell us all that you know about the Holy Spirit of God, how many of you would be good with that? You didn't have to put your hand up, but okay. I want you to imagine a typical North American Christian having a conversation with, well, let, let's say a Jehovah's Witness, all right? We're going to... I'm going to choose them today. I could have picked any, any group, but I'm going to say, though, it might, it might go something like this. Jehovah's Witness, of course you know that the word Trinity never appears in the Bible, right? You know that, right? And you realize that, in fact, it's just an ancient myth. Christian, how would you answer that statement made to you, especially if you've been with us for the past three weeks? All right. Well, you're correct that the word Trinity itself never does occur in the Bible. But the Bible clearly teaches, because Pastor Pete said it just last week, because the Bible clearly teaches that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are three separate persons, yet one God, Jehovah's Witness. But the Holy Spirit, come on, it's, it's, merely, it's merely God's active force in this world. The Spirit of God, when you read about that in the Bible, it's just describing how God does things, how He moves things, how He empowers things. It's, it's kind of like electricity. It's just like electricity. It's the power behind getting things done. But He, it's, He's not even a He, it's an It, is not, not a separate person. Christian, really? Well, I'm not too sure about that. This just doesn't seem to sound right, but I'm going to have to get back on you about that because I don't have an answer. I think that's how the conversation might go, that way. And whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, non-Trinitarian groups who falsely claim to know Jesus Christ as their Savior are confronting Christians spreading doubt and confusion amongst the church of God with these kinds of issues and these kinds of arguments that we're going over this summer, especially with the Holy Spirit today. Um, every day, in person, if you, if you have friends that you work with or, or have neighbors that are of that persuasion, but definitely in writings posted on the internet every day in response to things that are overtly Christian. There's a Unitarian website right now that you can go to that tries to convince and 
convincingly offer 34 biblical, the, the Scripture, boom, 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 34 of them, and historical reasons why the Holy Spirit is not a person. It's there. And we're spending the summer together. Um, we're working out our core faith muscles. Yours may be a little flabby. You know, it's, it's okay. We, we're going to work on it, okay? We're going to get them strong. It's what we really believe about what we believe. And we first exercise the muscle of the study of God, which is theology. Yes, it's called theology. Then last week, we, we did the study of Jesus Christ, which is Christology. Very good. This morning, we're going to do the study of the Holy Spirit, which is Holy Spiritology. No, 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 it's not. Because in the academic world, it's not that simple. It's, uh, you have to use dead language, so it's pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit, which is the study of the Spirit. Pneuma means spirit. Um, why do we, I hear, hear Latin's making a comeback, uh, so why do we use dead languages? Well, there you go. Anyway, who cares? Who is the Holy Spirit? That's what I care about. Don't you want to know? Inquiring minds want to know. Is there any biblical evidence that the Spirit is a person? What did, the, what did the Holy Spirit do during creation? Was He there? Does the Spirit have a role in communicating God to you and to me, to us, to mankind? What's up with this thing I hear on all the Christian TV stations, which I really don't even watch, but um, about being filled with the Spirit and being indwelt with the Spirit of God? What's up with all of that? And what was the Holy Spirit's role in my conversion, in your conversion, when you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Was the Holy Spirit there and uh, enlightening you to the way of Jesus Christ, your daily sanctification, your, your, your walk with Jesus? And what about all these spiritual gifts I'm hearing about? I got healing, I got prophecy, I got tongues, I got administration, I got pastoring, I've got all these gifts. They both have the word Spirit in them. You've got spiritual gifts, Holy Spirit. Is there a connection? I don't know. Well, first of all, first things first, the Holy Spirit's a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity and therefore has to be a person. We looked at this just last week and two weeks before that, and uh, it was exercise number two uh, just a few weeks ago. The Spirit has attributes. The Holy Spirit has attributes found in God's Word that only a person can have. Let me just run through a list of them for you here. He has intelligence, and there's passages that go along with each of these. He has intelligence. He has feelings. Did you know that? He has a will. The Holy Spirit prays. The Holy Spirit does miracles. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. He can be insulted. The Holy Spirit teaches. The Holy Spirit directs. So I just want to pick two of those. I right, will pick two of them because we don't have lots of time. But the first one is uh, the, the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. And Paul describes to us the Holy Spirit's role in distributing these things called spiritual gifts that you hear about all the time. And he says, all these, these spiritual gifts are empowered by one and the same. Everybody? Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as He wills. The Holy Spirit decides. <laughs> Did you know that? 
The Holy Spirit decides what gifts to give to each person. You, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you placed your faith in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, you have gifts that you possess, or at least one, okay? You've got at least one. You don't have any of the other gifts that other people might possess. You've got ones that are for you because the Holy Spirit willed it. And you're like, well, I don't like my gift. I want, I want that gift over there. And it's like you've got to say, well, how do you answer that? Talk to the Holy Spirit, okay? He gave you that gift because for a God-only-knows reason. That's why you have it. In other words, the Holy Spirit has a will, which is one characteristic of being a person. The second example, uh, to go back to that list, is from Acts chapter 5, and it's uh, verses 3 and 4, where the Holy Spirit is directly uh, uh, equated with God, the Father. Here in the early formation of the church, you've got Peter, and uh, he's, he's, he's rebuking a couple, a married couple, who said that they had given more money than they had actually given publicly to the church, to the work of God. And Peter says, but Peter said, Ananias, because this, this is the head of the, of the family here, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land that you sold and now you're offering the money to the church? While it remained unsold, did it not belong to you? Of course it did. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? You could have done anything you wanted with that money, but you're saying you're giving it all to the church, but you've kept a portion for yourself. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but you have lied to God. So here the Holy Spirit is lied to. This is very personal. When you're lied to, doesn't that become personal? You, you cannot lie to a table. <laughs> you can't lie to electricity because it's not a person. Now, now, you can yell at the table when you bump into it, right? And you've, have, have we all done this? We have yelled at an inanimate object. We've done this. Does that make it a person? All God's people said, no. It just makes you look silly talking to something that's not real. And lying to the Holy Spirit here is equated to lying to God. So what is our takeaway? The Holy Spirit is God. Yeah, He's personal, and He's God. We read also a ton about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Over and over and over again comes that phrase. Is the Spirit of God, that Holy Spirit, found in the Old Testament? Well, the very first verses of the Bible answer the question for us, and the Holy Spirit is seen as involved in the very act of creation, of the, the creation of the universe in the very beginning. Remember back to when we looked at God, theology? Remember last week when we looked at Jesus Christ, Christology? They were both involved in creation. Remember that? Well, let's read Genesis 1 with these eyes on looking for the Holy Spirit, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and you tell me, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. 
The Spirit was there. The Spirit was active, involved. You read later, hundreds of years, thousands of years later, you read in Job chapter 33, verse 4. And uh, remember, Job's going through a horrible time in his life, complete breakdown of everything he has known, including himself. And he's got friends that are coming to him, offering him advice. And some of it's good, but it's all a little off. But here, Elihu, one of his friends, says in Job 33, 4, Job, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. That's why I live today. Now, I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 2. So, we got Genesis chapter 1, Job chapter 33. Now, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, remembering what we've just read in Genesis chapter 1, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils, what? The breath of life. And the man became a living creature. From Genesis chapter 1, from Job chapter 33, from Genesis chapter 2, we find Hebrew words with the idea of spirit, with the idea of breath of life, even the concept of wind that moves. The significance of this is that breath is what gives life to our body. Whose breath? Yeah, yeah, nothing else. The, the breath of God, which is equated all through Scripture with the Spirit of God. So hanging on to that picture, hanging on to that thought and that idea, hang on to it every day as you ponder the role of the Holy Spirit and what He is doing in your life and in other people's lives, especially when we get, I think it's July 10th, we get to core faith lesson, the Bible in the Holy Spirit's role in that. But we'll leave that there for now. Here's something else. The Holy Spirit in communicating to humans like you and I. God reveals Himself to us through words. He's done this since the beginning. And that word, those words are contained in the Bible. And this is where the Holy Spirit has a huge role in Acts chapter 4, um, verses 24 through 26, Peter and John, the, the two apostles, they've just been reprimanded by the uh, religious leaders in Jerusalem for healing a man, and that was, one, uh, that was okay, but they did it in the name of Jesus, and they let everybody know that Jesus, who has just been crucified and who they say was resurrected from the dead, the religious leaders don't want to hear this, so they say, you can't do that. And they're told not to speak the name of Jesus. You can heal, heal anybody you want. Go out, go do a prophesy, do all the stuff you guys are doing, but don't say Jesus. And they say to the religious authorities over them, sorry, but there's no way that's going to happen. <laughs> Just cannot do. See, this is where you can go against the governing authorities when it comes down to Jesus. So they're threatened by the authorities and let go this time. And they go and tell the church that is just newly formed in Jerusalem what just happened. And, and citing directly from the Old Testament passage of Psalm chapter 2, the church in Jerusalem in unison, unison res responds with this, verse 24. And when the church heard this, they lifted their voices together to God. And listen to what they, what they said. 
sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against the anointed, Jesus. This quoted psalm is described as by the Holy Spirit through David. Think about that. The human author of Psalm chapter 2 is David. He's speaking, he's writing down, and he's being used to communicate God's message, but the Holy Spirit is the one who said it through David. It's pretty clear. And in, later, um, in citing um, Psalm chapter 95, the author of Hebrews states in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and guess what he says right after this? He quotes from Psalm 95, today, if you hear his voice and do not, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of the testing in the wilderness. We, we know that the psalmist wrote this message. We, we, well, we all know this. He wrote it with his hand. He wrote it with his mind. But it's the Holy Spirit who says it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's in the Old Testament. And today, we also find words like filling of the Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit, indwelling by the Holy Spirit. They're thrown around in Christian circles like crazy. I hear some of the stuff that comes out of Christians' mouths, and I'm just like, where did you get that? Did you just make that up? Does it just fit your experience? Is this how you feel? Because they're referring to and describing all kinds of life experiences. And the Bible's really clear about this, and that's why, how about we discover this morning, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, what the Bible says about the filling and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to look at that? Okay, here we, here we go. Okay. In the Old Testament, we, we read that the Holy Spirit filled, a better translation would have been took control of, you know, filled up so that you're totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. He filled various individuals for various kinds of service for God. And in some cases, this controlling is explicitly seen as being temporary. As a matter of fact, in most of the cases, it's temporary. A good example of the temporary filling or controlling by the Holy Spirit occurred in the life of Israel's first king, King Saul. Remember him? Yeah, it didn't end well for, for him, but it started off pretty good. The record of it starts in the book of 1 Samuel, and it's 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. And the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied. This is, this is just a guy who's not a prophet, but all of a sudden he starts prophesying. And when all who knew him previously, he's not a prophet, that's how they previously knew him, saw how he prophesied along with all the other prophets, the people said to another, what has come over the son of Kish? And we all know it's what? The Holy Spirit's come over him. That's what's come over and filled him. Is Saul also among the prophets? No, no, he's not. He's going to be the king. But in this case, is God showing his control of him. But six chapters later, after Saul's disobedience to God, we're told that the Spirit of God departed from him. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. There it is, black and white. And a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. I don't want that but we'll leave that for now. 
And apparently, the next king of Israel, David, didn't want that either, and he learned from Saul's example. And after David's horrific, terrible sin of adultery with the, the woman Bathsheba and a, and a murder that he contrived to cover up the sin, he records a prayer that we get to read in Psalm 5111, which if it's like all the other Psalms, and I believe it is, is by the Holy Spirit. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. David didn't want what happened to Saul to happen to him. He didn't want those consequences. David, we read in the historical record, had observed Saul in his torment from that harmful spirit. Remember, Saul actually called in David to play his harp and to sing for him and to help ease his pain of suffering from what was going on. And David watched this. And David here begs God, knowing he deserves it, begs God not to take him there. And God answers his prayer. But these are, these are temporary fillings. These are temporary, empowering, controlling moments by the Spirit of God during the Old Testament era. And they should never, please listen, they should never be used or confused with what you and I have today. This is different. You and I have the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God in our church age, which began in Acts chapter 2. That Old Testament filling and controlling should never be confused or used as an illustration of our permanent indwelling by the Holy Spirit of God today. His baptism, the Holy Spirit's, notice I called him a his, I called him a he. His baptism is it's our immersion, your, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's our immersion by the Holy Spirit into the blood of Jesus Christ. That had to happen. And that saves us. That washes us clean. That makes us holy before a holy God. That's why you and I can pray to Him anytime, anywhere. We can enter into His presence. It's by the blood of Jesus, what the Holy Spirit did. He, he baptized, He immersed us. That's what baptism means, immersion into the blood of Jesus. His indwelling, the Holy Spirit, after He did that, took up permanent residence in my body. I, I can't even fathom that. God in me. <laughs> Is He in you? His indwelling is a permanent act in the life of every believer in Jesus Christ. So every Christian can be assured that the Holy Spirit will never be taken away from them. Ephesians 1, it's a great passage on this. There's many, but here's one. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's a fact. Who is the guarantee of this future inheritance until we acquire possession of it, this eternal life, the new bodies in heaven with Jesus forever to the praise of His glory. So, so that introduces to me another idea, though. This is where, every, this is where we all go because we're humans. So what does the Holy Spirit do in my salvation? Like, how does this all work? 
And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is very active in our salvation when you trusted in Jesus as your Savior. In fact, God's Spirit is indispensable for anyone to be saved, to get saved. Let's look at uh, your pre-conversion, your conversion, and your post-conversion experiences. Uh, Pre-conversion, before you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, prior to anyone placing his or her faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is involved in, in setting up the conditions. And we all have a different story, don't we, of how of how God brought us to that place. And they're all varied. They're all diverse. They're, some of them are really crazy. Some of them are just like, so simple. You know, it's like, but the Holy Spirit set all that up specifically for you. And when God called you by name and you ran out of that grave, I think we just sang that. Yeah. And in setting up these conditions, then the Holy Spirit allows your faith response to the gospel message. And primarily, he does this through, first of all, there's this convicting of sin, because without that, what are, you, what are you trusting in? Why would you trust? Everything's fine. There's this convicting of sin, and then there's a revealing of truth. So John 1, I mean John 16, <clears throat> verse 8 to 10, Jesus states this about the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning what? Sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. They need, without the Holy Spirit, they're not going to get it because they're heading in another direction. We were. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. You need the Holy Spirit to see what's right. You need the Holy Spirit to know what's good. Every one of us in this room needs the Holy Spirit to be able to discern between what is true and what is false. And it's pretty confusing out there right now. And we're also taught that the Holy Spirit speaks to individuals through the preaching of the gospel. This is how it happens. Paul writes to believers in Thessalonica, and he, he tells them in, in chapter 1, verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians, because our gospel came to you not only in word through our mouth, but also in the power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So what about the conversion experience then after the conditions are set up for you and for me by the Holy Spirit? Well, you have the, the conversion work, and like many of you in this room, I was once dead. I was a walking dead man, and I acted accordingly. I was, I was terrible. Were you? I was always good. We, we need to talk. Um, I want to talk to your parents. Try, no, I don't want to. Tr trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection gave me life. Okay? As I said, and as we sang, he called my name and I ran out of that grave. And this is described in the Bible as regeneration. Uh, the impartation of a new life. That's what the Holy Spirit did. The, the washing that I received by the Holy Spirit for what we call a new birth, or we call it being born again, right? That's how Jesus describes it. This washing, this purifying that only the Holy Spirit can do 
through the blood of Jesus Christ, this, this obtaining of a new life is accomplished only by the Holy Spirit. That's the role he has. And Paul writes this letter to Titus, who's a young man shepherding a, a new church. And he, he says in Titus 3.5 that he, speaking of God, saved us, not because of anything we had done, not because of any work done by us even in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's what happened at my conversion, at your conversion. You know, but, in, you know, in, in, we talk Christianese a lot, don't we? Like I am even right now, quite a bit. And in our Christianese church talk, you might hear that a believer in Jesus Christ is baptized into the body of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And if you're not a churched person at all, you're like, what? <laughs> what is that? Baptism, as I said, means immersion. This immersion is a one-time event in which, metaphorically speaking, Jesus Christ becomes our head, and we are joined with all other believers as fellow members of this mysterious, universal one body, which is Jesus' church. It's Christ's church. We are now God's children. We weren't before. We're adopted into His family. We were orphans before, and we're now Christ's church on this planet. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, God, as Paul put it this way, for in one spirit we were all baptized, there it is, immersed into one body, Jews or Greeks, doesn't matter, slaves or free, doesn't matter, and all were made to drink of this one spirit. This baptism and immersion by the Holy Spirit forms our union with Jesus Christ and each other. This is why we all have something in common every one of us. Um, it doesn't matter what your educational background is. It doesn't matter what your upbringing is. It doesn't matter what part of the planet you were born on. It doesn't matter what your life experiences have been. You can walk into a church anywhere on this earth and belong, if it's a real church of Jesus Christ. And you can connect. It even goes beyond language. It's this, this baptism, this immersion of the Holy Spirit into Jesus is also closely related to His indwelling, as I said earlier. See, at my conversion, at your conversion, I was baptized into the blood of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit also indwelt my life. It's just, just mind-boggling. came into me somehow, and He continues living in me until Jesus comes back. So Paul reminds the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know, do you guys forget already, don't you know that you are God's temple? What is God's temple? Well, it was in Jerusalem, right? It's where what? Blood sacrifices were made to make yourself clean before God. It's where God's presence was. Well, it's not there anymore. It was destroyed in 70 A.D., Jesus replaced the temple. And we're now told here that we are God's temple. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. And God's presence is right here. And that God's Spirit dwells in you. Don't you know this? Don't you get it? And in Romans 8, 9, Paul adds, you, however, 
are not in the flesh. You used to be. You used to be, but you're now in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, so check it out, make sure. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. And there's, there's that three in one again. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. Three separate persons, yet one. You could say that the indwelling Spirit is proof that you are a Christian. Do you ever wonder, can I lose it? Do you know people who struggle with that? Maybe it's you. In other words, would God ever let me go back to being dead? Because through the Holy Spirit, I was made alive. Would He let me go back to being dead? Believers who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit are told that they are, we read this, that they are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Paul writes that, and he says in, in him, Jesus Christ, in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, you also, when you heard the word of the truth, when you heard the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Sealing communicates something very powerful. God's mark of permanent ownership is on you. It's on me. Who can break God's seal? That's right. No one. And Paul goes off on that when he says, who can separate us from the love of God? And he goes through this whole long list to emphasize nothing. The Holy Spirit is also described in these verses as what? A guarantee, a pledge, a down payment that ensures that God will complete His perfect work in you and He'll complete it in me until that day when we see Him face to face. Trust in God alone. His Word endures forever. His loyal love never fails. Then there's spiritual gifts, and time is ticking away. But what I did do is prepare a handout on the back there because we're going to deal with spiritual gifts in one of our core messages in August. It's in August, right? So you got to come back in August. Come back before then, but come back in August and uh, use this list. It lists all the references to the, to the, to the gifts, the, the spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit that, yes, even you have one of these. And... Uh, Use it as a warm-up exercise for that message, okay? To stretch your muscles, get ready, and we'll do some heavy lifting in August. Okay, so you've been convicted, you've been converted. What, what, is, what is the Holy Spirit doing now, post-conversion? Um, that filling and that controlling, that empowering and that guiding of your life is what the Holy Spirit is doing right now. Something's happening right now. He's at work right now in you. While our baptism by the Holy Spirit occurred once at, conver at conversion, this filling and this controlling by the Holy Spirit, this influence of the Holy Spirit of God happens all through your life, and it's even commanded. Look at this in Acts chapter 13. <clears throat> After Paul's conversion, we read, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. So here, the filling of the Holy Spirit is at the forefront propelling Paul's gospel ministry, and it happens well after his conversion, which was way back in Acts chapter 9. And to the church in Ephesus, Paul writes, 
in, in Ephesians 5.18. Don't get drunk on wine, with wine. That's debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. Here the filling of the Spirit is given as a command that you and I are supposed to follow. And in this analogy, this control by the Spirit of God is compared with the negative control that alcohol can have over a person if they overindulge. And the point is, don't let anything else control you in your life, but rather have the Holy Spirit being the only defining, controlling influence that you have. Closely related to being filled with the Holy Spirit is being empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that's Galatians chapter 5, 19. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. They will, they will tempt you till Jesus comes back, but you're to be controlled by the Spirit. Verses 22 and 23, and you'll see whether you have the Holy Spirit by these fruits. And there's love. Do you love? There's joy. Are you joyful? There's peace. Are you a peacekeeper? Patience. Oh, that's a hard one. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that you and I are even enabled to live obedient lives to God and to be led and to be guided. Romans 8, 13 and 14, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. It's a fact. But if by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. There's the proof. You know, as Christians, we should wake up every morning. And I confess to you, I don't. I do wake up eventually. But, but I think we're all in this together. As Christians, we should be waking up every morning looking to the Spirit of God for guidance and for wisdom and for direction all the confusion we're going to encounter that day and family and friends and work and school, everything we face that day, and, and we need to immerse ourselves into God's Word, and then the Holy Spirit takes that, and he, He's active. He makes it live, and the Holy Spirit's alive, and He's active today, and He's, in, he's active today not only in your life as a believer, but He's active in the lives of unbelievers in us, it's a, it's, he's, a, he's a permanent indwelling companion. He's gifting you and I to serve other people, to share the good news message and, he, and empowering us to live righteously this Christian life. And in unbelievers, who we all know, he's convicting. He's convicting people you know. He's convicting people you are about to meet who you don't know yet about their condition of rebellion in sin before God. It's happening right now. And He will remind you often uh, throughout the day about what you've read in God's Word. And He'll move you, He'll enlighten you to apply that truth that you read to the situation that you are in. It's, it's, um, it's wonder Have you experienced this? It's wonderful. 
I'm going to invite you to rise with me. Let's respond and let's pray together about what God has done, about what God has given, and what God's about to do. Heavenly Father, we bow before you, compelled to thank you, to live for you, to share Jesus wherever we go. But Lord, we're reminded that we don't do this alone, that alongside of us, in us, is your holy, precious spirit, powerful. We have all we need, and we thank you in advance, and now lift our voices to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.